Geno Smith had a resurgent season for the ages for the Seahawks in 2022, and now he's starting to reap the rewards. Rob Rang and I will be breaking down some of the hardware that Geno Smith's bringing home on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope all the 12s out there had a great weekend. If you are in the Midwest, hopefully you hunkered down with these freezing temperatures and were able to stay warm this weekend and enjoy the NFL championship games. We've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. Mock Draft Monday, week two installment. We'll be taking a look at three new mock drafts. Maybe a few players we've already talked about a little bit, but some new faces as well that are being projected to be Seattle Seahawks heading into the 2023 season. We're going to answer your mailbag questions. And of course, we're going to talk about the Comeback Player of the Year Award winner, at least from the Pro Football Writers Association's eyes. Jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Critics, they were writing off Geno Smith, but he did not write back. And now he is reaping the rewards. Pro Football Writers Association selecting Seattle's Pro Bowl quarterback as not only the most improved player in the NFL this season, but also the comeback player of the year. And I know this is kind of a touchy subject for some people. When we're looking at what these awards are supposed to be for particularly the Comeback Player of the Year Award. And I know you've voiced your displeasure with the idea of this award to has been on the last seven, Geno Smith. But there's plenty of people like myself who are on the other side of the spectrum and feel like a comeback from quarterback purgatory is well worth this award. Yeah, it absolutely is worth the award. Uh, you know, the Pro Football Writers Association of America, um, you know, they obviously feel the same way, Corbin. Um, you know, I, I I, would mention the fact that there were two other very worthy candidates, in my opinion, for the comeback player of the year, that being the Giants running back Saquon Barkley, San Francisco running back Christian McCaffrey. They were both official nominees. Um, I, I would also mention the Tampa Bay wide receiver Chris Godwin as another player I thought deserved that type of consideration. But uh, by mentioning other worthy candidates, I do not mean in any way to uh, to knock down Juno Smith. I think that you know the season that he had for the Seahawks was unbelievable. I mean, for him to lead the NFL in completion percentage, setting a Seahawk record, while setting another Seahawk record for the most passing yards of any single season in team history, you know, becoming only the third quarterback ever to get the third, the t- thirty touchdown passing plateau, and then just show the the leadership, the the, the courage 
um, and the, the consistency that he demonstrated throughout the entire season. I, I really think that Geno Smith deserves every single award that, that he gets this year. I personally am much, much more in, in a fan of the idea of him getting the most improved because I think that he clearly was that. But again, I'm not going to knock any time uh, a Seattle Seahawk is able to take kind of any kind of national uh, recognition, especially from a, a group I trust and respect as much as I do with the PFWA. Yeah, and you and I, I'm not going to say we've butted heads a little bit on this subject, but clearly you and I are on a little different viewpoint when it comes to what qualifies as the Comeback Player of the Year award. And I look at the candidates, and McCaffrey would probably be number two choice for me. And Godwin, I'm glad you mentioned that name because he's certainly a player coming back from a significant knee injury that I don't think got enough buzz with this award as a finalist. Saquon Barkley played most of the games last year. So I I was hard pressed to do that last season. I would have been much more inclined to do that when he was coming back from the torn ACL, but he played most of the games last year. So I guess that was kind of my caveat there. And, you know, if a player is benched for a year or two and then they have a big season, I, I wouldn't necessarily consider that a comeback. But again, this is such a unique circumstance when we are talking about Geno Smith, because Rich Gannon was the only other quarterback ever to have his first Pro Bowl selection year 10 or later in his career. One guy had done it before Geno Smith in. Those two players had pretty similar trajectories. They started off as starters, weren't great, ended up losing those starting opportunities for vastly different reasons. Then they were on the bench riding the pine for several years, and then they have a resurgence in an offense that fits their skill set. We're seeing it with Geno Smith now with Shane Waldron, those two working in tandem. And it's, like I said, it's historic. And so for me, this is a very unique circumstance. Now, you and I would both agree on most improved because when we consider what this player looked like playing for the New York Jets almost a decade ago, 13 touchdowns and 21 picks in one of those seasons, this was not a starting caliber quarterback for the New York Jets. Now, some of of that was the situation he was in with the lack of talent around him. But you just look at the numbers he put up. You threw a couple of these out. 30 passing touchdowns, third quarterback in Seahawks history to do that. 69.8% completion rate, 100.9 passer rating. All those were in the top five in the NFL. And then if you look at advanced stats, he still finished first in completion percentage over expectation, according to next-gen stats. And he was second in big-time throws, according to Pro Football Focus, with 34 of them. You add in the records that he put into place and just how unlikely it seemed that he was going to touch any of these numbers after beating out Drew Locke for the starting job in a year that was supposed to be a down-rebuilding season for this franchise. We've talked about it time and time again, and yet the story continues to be one that is a marvelous one for Smith and the Seahawks. Well, it's just such a feel-good story. I mean, talk about a story of resiliency. I mean, I think that it's something that that Seahawks fans obviously are going to fall in love with with Geno Smith's ascent. But I think just that sports fans in general, just humanity in general, anytime you see somebody who is given that opportunity, as you mentioned, it was way back in 2013 when he was a rookie that he threw up the the numbers that you had uh, mentioned previously. Uh, you know, started every game for the Jets that season, and most of the games his second year in the NFL. And then never to start again, or at least not in uh, you know spot starting as as the backup for the rest of his career until this latest opportunity. I mean, it, it really is something that is I think inspirational to a lot of people. 
Um, you know, at the same time, I think that we have to kind of start shifting our attention a little bit to to what the Seahawks are planning to do moving forward with Geno Smith, because you know clearly it, everything that that he has said, that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have said, have indicated that there this is going to be a wonderful reunion. Um, you know, and you know everything is going to go well, very well. But at the same time, obviously there is a limit to what Seattle can pay Geno Smith, and considering how successful he was this past season, then. I think that, you know, he is right to basically ask for the moon. So I think it's really going to be fascinating to see that, you know, the, the, the kind of negotiating process that we're going to see over these next couple of weeks. Um, and I, again, one of the things that I think that Seattle has to be very, very careful of because the allure of that number five overall pick, we're going to talk about this in just a couple of minutes, the allure of having a little bit of financial freedom and a lot of, of other veteran quarterbacks that are out there. And, you know, of, of course, Seattle is going to be feeling pretty darn confident that, hey, this is our system. We can have lots of quarterbacks be successful. To me, one of the things that we really have to kind of come back to over and over again is just how successful Geno was, Geno Smith was throwing those deep balls in particular. For him to have the completion percentage that he had, given how often he threw the ball deep, to me, really is a testament to his brilliant accuracy and decision making for most of the season as well. Yeah, there's a lot of different factors at play here when we're looking at this cat and mouse game. And I keep going back to this being a unique story. Teams aren't put in a position like this where they have a quarterback of all positions that has a career year in year 10 after being on the bench with three different teams for seven years. And so that does create kind of a complicated situation for John Schneider in the front office because do we want to pay 30 plus million for a guy that had an outstanding season, but his first nine years in the league, he was either on the bench or he was a subpar starting quarterback. Do we trust that he can put up similar numbers or better numbers, get better moving forward to justify that money? And so there are a lot of moving parts here, and yet it does still feel like everything, all the signs out there are suggesting the Seahawks and Geno Smith are going to make this happen. They're going to get back together does that mean that he's going to be the starting quarterback beyond 2023? That's debatable because it depends what the Seahawks decide to do with those two first-round picks that they have, and they could have some assets next year if they move up and down the board, maybe get another first-round pick for next season. Who knows what ends up happening here, but they've got a lot of options, and they're going to have to do their due diligence on all of them. But certainly Geno Smith has earned that contract, and now he's got a couple more things to put on his resume that should help him make a little bit more money going into free agency in March. Coming up next, we're going to tackle your questions. Our Monday mailbag segment will answer as many as we can here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks with Super Bowl coming up in two weeks. I like A.J. Brown to snag a touchdown against the Chiefs. That might not seem like a bold leap, but with Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to six players and they score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether that's the NFL, NBA, MLB, boxing, even disc golf. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy with safe and fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, 
Prize picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get the daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories, in-depth analysis on the biggest games with NFL key predictions every Friday and Monday. Local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked On NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. As we do each and every Monday, it's time for our Monday mailbag. Time to open up The line here with our first question from Dak tweeting, with a late first-round pick, whether it be pick 20 or a later pick via trade-down, would a wide receiver be a good pick? Tyler Lockett is aging, and we need a third receiver. I really want Quentin Johnson, but I'm not sure he will fall that low. Rob, we've had a chance to talk about this a little bit up to this point, but this does feel like a position that's kind of under the radar in terms of being a first round selection for the Seahawks. Yeah, I, I understand that rationale. Um, and I absolutely love uh, the talent that Quinton Johnston is, uh, the wide receiver from TCU. In my opinion, he should be the very first receiver off the board. And, and so if he is available at 20 or in a possible trade down scenario, sure, I think that you have to consider him just because, again, I think that at that point he would be a, a potential steal. But at the same time, I really believe that where Seattle needs to improve is in the trenches. I think that every single move that they make this year, other than making sure you get yourself to the quarterback um, it it needs to be building up their trenches so uh, unless Seattle makes some significant improvements in free agency trade or with that number five overall selection then I really think that they should be looking for another big man whether it be on the offensive or defensive lines uh, with that second first round pick this year our next question coming from Curtis Eastwood how do the Seahawks sign Geno Smith and replicate the Eagles front seven for 2023 well that is the golden question because as we've talked about in the show a little bit Rob with the Seahawks having to potentially pay 30 plus million to re-sign Geno Smith and that is a very large chunk of the remaining cap space that they currently are estimated to have and so it does create that issue where you don't have the financial flexibility to go out and get some of those defensive tackles maybe that might be available. There are a few guys the Eagles might not be able to re-sign off their own defensive line that are going to be hitting the free agent market. But do the Seahawks have the financial capital with Geno Smith under contract to be able to do that? You're going to have to do some other maneuvering, whether it's through those extensions or cap casualties we talked about, making a trade to move a player to get some cap space They would have to do some maneuvering to be able to go out and add talent like that. So this truly is a balancing act that it feels like the teeter-totter is leaning much heavier towards the draft than it is free agency. And there's never a guarantee that when you draft a player, they're going to come in and be able to make an immediate impact. Seattle fans were spoiled this year by how good this draft class was. But we've seen other draft classes where rookie classes have come in and they've gotten very little from the group overall in the first season. So you don't know if one of those big trench players is going to come in and make an impact early. You're hoping that they do, but that's the position you are in when you pay a quarterback big money. You have to build your roster year in, year out, continually cycling in players 
uh, first-year players, rookies, and hoping that they are able to fill the void because there's only so much money to go around. If Geno Smith isn't re-signed and they have a cheaper quarterback option or they have a rookie at quarterback, that does open up a lot more money to try to bolster the roster around that player. So it really is a balancing act. And like I said, if you have Geno Smith under contract for the money we're projecting he's going to be getting, you're going to have to lean a lot more towards the draft to try to fill that gap. And that's not necessarily what the Philadelphia Eagles did. So trying to replicate their 2023 front seven, that's going to be easier said than done with the lack of resources, especially if Geno Smith is under contract. That's just the reality of roster building, and that's why John Schneider makes a hell of a lot more money than what I do. Next question coming from Ricky. Last year, John Schneider ranked Drew Locke better than every quarterback in the draft. How would you rank Drew Locke versus this year's quarterback class? All things considered, Rob, you've been licking your lips about answering this question today. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I would agree with um, what how, how John Schneider um, ranked the quarterbacks in this last year's draft, at least according to uh, our, our listener. Um, and uh, because that that's the way I ranked it as well. I, I really thought that if Drew Locke had been available last year's draft, that he would have been a first round pick. Of course, the only quarterback that wound up going the first round last year was Kenny Pickett. And we saw some of the flashes uh, with the Steelers in his, his rookie season. Um at the same time, this year's draft class at quarterback, I think, is significantly better. Uh, I would rank Drew Locke you know, out, outside of the top five, you know, possibly, or certainly outside of the top three or four guys. I, I believe that Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud um, are upper echelon type prospects who deserve to go in the top five, just about any draft class that you'd ever seen. Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, Tanner McKee, Hendon Hooker, that there's some other really good football players out there that I think that Drew Locke's physical skill set might le allow him to leap ahead of those types of, of players if he were in this draft class. But that's what we would be talking about, in my opinion, is a little bit more like the, the draft class that Drew Locke was initially selected into. Um, his his talent is undeniable, but at the same time, it's so up and down. I think a lot of people would be having concerns about him, similar to the concerns that people have about Levis and Richardson. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because that's kind of the prospect that I thought that Drew Locke was coming out of Missouri. All the physical tools, but there were question marks about how he applied those physical tools on the field. And that's played out when he's had his opportunities to play in the NFL. Next question from 12 Recap. Who could be a surprise player to receive an extension or be released by the Seahawks? And, you know, I always, you know, I, I look at this question and I, I don't know that there's a guy on Seattle's roster that it would surprise me if the Seahawks cut. You know, maybe they have a player they draft in the last couple of years, like a D. Eskridge, that ends up getting released because they just decide to move on. That would stun me. I think the Seahawks are still going to give him another opportunity, but I think that it, you know, in terms of surprises, Gabe Jackson getting cut wouldn't be a surprise. The defensive lineman that we've talked about, Shelby Harris, Quentin Jefferson, those players that you can open up cap space with, they're veterans. None of those would be surprising. I guess if I was going to go out on a limb and say something really surprising, it would be a post June 1st designation with a failed physical for Jamal Adams. And I don't think that's going to happen, but because he's coming off of a severe injury, he's had multiple injuries the last couple of years. 
and a torn quad tendon that could be really difficult to come back from in general in any sport let alone football maybe that would be the you know wild card if you're wanting to roll the dice uh at the sports book on a, a release candidate you know maybe you could go there but i'm not expecting any like stunning releases or extensions this offseason that haven't already been discussed or or been predisposed i expect that it's going to be pretty uh, pretty by the book for John Schneider most of this offseason, at least in that regard. Now, quarterback, we'll see what happens. Next question from Ryan King. As a Seahawk and Wisconsin Badger fan, I'm curious about your thoughts if any Badgers fit this Seahawks team. Maybe somebody like Keanu Benton. This is an interesting player that he just threw out there, but Wisconsin's not coming off a great season, and I, and I don't know where you stand on this, but I only have a couple players down on my list from Wisconsin that I'm looking at as potential targets for the Seahawks this year. Yeah, uh, there there was three players that immediately kind of jumped into my head. Um, Benson, the big nose tackle. Uh, for those of our listeners and viewers, and as always, as you say every time, Corbin, thank you, thank you, thank you to all our listeners and viewers and the person who asked this question. Um, again, I, Benton is a big nose guard. Uh, you know, he, he's a 6'3", 330 kind of a guy in the middle. And so you love that size and power. I think that that's critical for the Seahawks to get that, uh, you know, get again, get bigger in the, along the trenches. So I think that he makes some sense. Herbert the outside linebacker rush guy i mean he, he's an interesting player but the one that i am actually the most intrigued by is the center tipman uh yeah. joe tipman is uh you know he, he's a massive man now of course corbin you know me i mean i've been pounding the table for seattle to drop a center it seems like every year um but tipman is particularly intriguing um in that he's massive and this guy's like six five six six 315 pounds and yet he can move he is very quick out of his stance. Uh, he gets out and pulls um, and can actually run. I mean, he's going to surprise people in his workouts. I think he's going to go a lot higher than people think that, that he may wind up going. And, uh, you know, again, just the kind of the Wisconsin ties. We've seen the way that the Big Ten is probably the conference in college football, along with the SEC probably, that just continually produces those trench linemen that Seattle's looking to uh, add. So I do think that Tipman is somebody else, again, along with uh, Benton, the, the nose guard, that I think from the Badgers specifically would fit a lot, uh, make a lot of sense for the Seahawks in this draft. Last question here that we've got coming from Jeff B. Is Drew Sanders a good prospect for Seattle to draft? So Drew Sanders is a linebacker that started at Alabama. Ended up going to Arkansas. This is something that didn't used to happen very much, Rob. You didn't see SEC elite players go from Alabama to other SEC schools very much. Then NIL and the transfer rules changing. Now we see them basically changing SEC teams like they changed close. And so Drew Sanders ends up at Arkansas and he had nine and a half sacks this year. So he does have blitzing ability. This is a guy that can get after the quarterback. You can move him around a little bit. My concern with Drew Sanders as an NFL prospect, at least for what Seattle's looking to do defensively, he's 230 pounds soaking wet. This guy, especially his upper body, is really lean. Now, he's a good athlete. He can blitz. He, he's physical. So maybe he ends up playing bigger than that size in the NFL. But that would be my one concern because I still think they need to add a thumper at the linebacker position if they're going to be running a 3-4 defense, especially without Jordan Brooks for a while. I just don't see that in Drew Sanders necessarily. I think in their old scheme, he would have been a really intriguing fit as a potential day two selection, and maybe he still would be viewed in that vein. But I do have some questions about where he would fit in their current scheme 
from a uh, from a skill and strength standpoint. Coming up next, it's Mock Draft Monday. We're going to continue talking draft prospects, three mock drafts from three big media outlets, maybe a few players we've already talked about a little bit, but there's certainly going to be some new faces for us to dive into as well. That's coming up next on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel this year, the only app you need. At your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sportsbook in America. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Looking forward to this big game. I'm leaning towards taking a little bit of a big swing here with Travis Kelsey as my MVP pick at plus 1,200. He has been torching opponents in the playoffs. And this actually feels like a game that he may have a chance to get big yardage and maybe score a touchdown or two against an Eagles defense that's been suspect in the middle. The FanDuel Sports app is safe, secure, and super easy to use to make bets like that one I'm planning to do on Travis Kelsey. And best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Monday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Thailand, Australia, or nearby in Renton. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's time for Mock Draft Monday, our second installment. Again, we're going to be doing this each and every Monday, and sometimes we'll switch things up a little bit take a little bit different perspective. But generally, we like to do is take a look at the experts and what they are mocking to the Seahawks. And we've got three different ones we're going to be looking at today. Rob, let's kick off the festivities with the big name when it comes to mock drafts. And that would be Mel Kuyper of ESPN. And we talked about this particular player last week who was selected in one of our mocks at pick number five. But This seems to be a very popular selection for the Seahawks for mock draft and draft experts in general. And that is Will Levis from Kentucky going to the Seahawks, even if Geno Smith resigns. This gives them a young quarterback that can be the franchise guy moving forward. Who knows when he gets on the field? And we've talked about it. All the physical tools are there when you talk about Will Levis. The guy can throw the football over the moon. He's got a cannon arm. He's super athletic. Sometimes he uses his athleticism to his detriment when he tries to hurdle over guys. And you've got to love the passion that he plays with. And again, the physical tools are all there. And if you land in the right spot, John Schneider has shown that he knows how to evaluate quarterbacks. So if Levis is high on his board and he thinks that in Pete Carroll's system that they can minimize some of the issues he had at Kentucky in terms of decision-making, being smarter with the football, then obviously there's a very high ceiling here. But it feels like, again, that this is a player top five pick that that might be a little bit more of a roll of the dice than what you would want, especially with all the needs Seattle has away from the quarterback position. Yeah, there's no question about it. Uh, Will Levis is a roll of the dice, Um, whether he be picked at number five or in a a trade down scenario. I mean, as you said, uh, he is very gifted. Um, He does come with a great deal of 
uh, pro style offense experience. Uh, each of his last two offensive coordinators have NFL ties. So you feel good about that. You feel good about the fact that of course he's, you know, he's played against elite competition in the sec. And then, you know, he transferred over from Penn state and, you know, had a, a great deal of opportunity to play against very talented players there as well. Um, so there's a lot of things that you're excited about with Will Levis and, you know, should Seattle bring back Geno Smith? I do think if there is a good possibility, they're going to still draft a, a quarterback this year. I think that the quarterback class this year warrants it, whereas last year did not. Um, and again, I think Levis has the talent to, um, you know, to to give Seattle to allow Seattle to do that, to justify Seattle's selection. Um, at the same time, I also think that if you're bringing back Geno Smith, then I think that you are playing on competing right away and you have a possibility of getting an impact defensive lineman likely at that number five overall pick. And that to me is the much more likely scenario. I'll, I'll just quickly switch over then to Byron Young, who Kuiper um, has listed for the Seahawks at the 20th overall selection. Um, and, you know, I, I was initially kind of confused by this and maybe some of our listeners are as well, because there's there's two different Byron Youngs out there. Both of them are very good players out of the SEC. Byron Young, the 20th overall selection, according to Mel Kuyper, um, is an edge rusher, 6'3", 250-pounder from Tennessee. And he reminds me a little bit, not just the, you know, the, obviously the fact that they both play at the same program at Tennessee um, as Daryl Taylor, but actually in a way, even more with Boye Mafe in that he is powerful at the point of attack. He is not quite as quick and elusive off of the edge, but still, I, I just have a hard time with that selection because to me, I like what Seattle has an edge rusher. Um, but at the same time, again, I have real concerns about the interior of the offensive and defensive lines. And so again, for Seattle to end their first round of the 2023 draft as the great Mel Kuyper Jr. has projected here, I just feel like Seattle would basically be lacking that interior presence that I really think is the biggest area of concern for this club. This feels to me like Mel Kuyper Jr. is trying to get ahead. Uh, he's trying to get the carriage ahead of the horse in terms of finding that player that the Seahawks pick in the first round that nobody has expected or heard of in the first round. And also, he's going to be 25 in March, and the Seahawks have taken some older players in early selections, like LJ Collier, for example, in 2019. But last year was a change of the guard where they were going after some younger early entrants in the draft at a number of different positions. And so maybe they've bucked that trend now going into this draft. But I look at Young as a player. You got seven and a half sacks from him this year, double-digit tackles for loss. He was a productive player in the SEC. And different – like you think he would be more Mafe than Daryl Taylor. He, he is a thicker, stronger-looking player. And he can hold up at the point of attack better than what Daryl Taylor did. I don't see the same twitch, though, that Taylor brings to the table. It just feels like it's a a little bit of a redundant body type for the Seahawks with the players that they already have off the edge. And we've talked about there's a, a number of prospects in this draft that are more in that 270 to 280 pound range. That feels like that's the kind of player that they are lacking off the edge right now. That has the versatility to play as a traditional defensive end if they get in a four-man front. They don't have that guy on the roster right now. They've got 
numerous 240 to 255 pound guys that can play that edge position and are solid players. So again, this feels like a redundant pick to me, especially for a player that's going to be 25 in March. I don't know how much better he can get. Oh, by the way, he has two years of experience beyond junior college too. So he's going to be a 25 year old coming into the league that even though he's played elite competition for two years, that's it. He doesn't have extensive SEC experience beyond that point. So I do have question marks about that one. Looking at our next mock draft, this one from Trevor Sigma of Pro Football Focus. And this is another player that has been a very popular pick for the Seahawks. We talked about him a little bit last week. I mentioned the 275-pound edge rushing options. Right now, Tyree Wilson of Texas Tech looks to be the number one candidate for the Seahawks at that number five spot to fill that void. And I went back and watched even more film on him since last Monday and just watching him bully some pretty darn good tackles in the big 12 conference. I mean, there's some good offensive linemen. You gotta, you gotta be able to pass protect in the, in the big 12 where everybody's airing it out and watching Tyree Wilson get after it from a physicality standpoint and just bully people. And then you would see him get around the edge Way better than you would expect a 275-pound edge rusher to be able to do. He's not a guy that's going to turn the corner and bend like Daryl Taylor does, but he's much better at that than I think most people would expect with his size. And it feels like if he could just develop his hands a little bit better with his counter moves and further refine his pass rushing plan, that this is a kid that can come in and consistently get double-digit sacks for you while also being a force against the run. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, that's the thing about Tyree Wilson is I just see who he is right now and who he could become in a year or two. Um, you know, one of the great defensive linemen that the NFC West division has seen over the last 10, 15 years uh, was Calais Campbell. Still, of course, playing in, in Baltimore now, I believe now. Um, just a long arm monster of a man when he came out of Miami. And, you know, it, it's not that Tyree Wilson is that big or that physical yet. And maybe he never will become that physical. Um, but that's the type of player that I could see uh, Tyree Wilson ultimately becoming just an absolute monster. Richard Seymour is another one that, um, you know, was able, because of his size, was able to play up and down the line of scrimmage. And they and both of those players got to the point where they were over 300 pounds. Tyree Wilson is 275, and yet his frame is such that I think that you might be able to add that type of weight to him if you wanted to. Um, so I, I'm just really intrigued by what Tyrese, Tyree Wilson already is and, again, what he could become. Um, I, I got to switch back for a moment because I got so excited talking about Byron Young from Tennessee that I then skipped the second Byron Young that is out there. He plays from Alabama, and he is – does have that 6'3", 295-pound frame um, that is a little bit more of what I think that Seattle is lacking at, at the point of attack. So he's another guy that, again, whether it be Tyree Young, um, you know, here for um, this current mock draft or one of the other players that we talked about previously, that's really where I think that Seattle is going to go. Finally, switching gears back to Trevor Sikama of PFF's uh, mock draft, he has them taking – Joey Porter Jr., the, the talented cornerback. If the last name is familiar or the name itself is familiar, of course, he is the son of the, the longtime Steelers great uh, Joey Porter. And Joey Porter Jr., a cornerback, plays the same kind of nastiness and physicality, tenacity that his dad played with off the edge for the Steelers all those years. Um, he does not have elite ball skills. Um, but that's, that's basically the only knock I have on him. I think that he is a beautiful schematic fit in what Pete Carroll looks to do 
just again, the Seahawks have much bigger concerns than a cornerback, given the bodies that they've already drafted at that position. Um, and uh, again, the, the success that Seattle has had in the past at that position. I would be stunned, stunned if Seattle took a cornerback in the first round. And you know how much Pete Carroll values ball skills. And this, I will say this, Porter had 11 pass breakups this year. So it's not that he can't get his hands out in front and knock balls away because he's very disruptive in that regard. He does a good job of reading routes, undercutting them, making plays on the football. He can swap balls away as a high pointer. He's got the straight line speed to be able to run with guys downfield. There's a lot to like about this kid, but he's not going to be a player that's going to be coming out and getting a bunch of interceptions for you. That's not his game. In fact, I see some Shaquille Griffin in him in terms of his ball skills. I see a guy that can get pass breakups. I don't see somebody, though, that's going to turn those in, into a bunch of interceptions, and Griffin was never able to do that in the NFL with the Seahawks or the Jaguars. And so I see some similarities in that regard, but he is a physical player. He'll come up and smack you. He plays really tight press coverage, is really effective at doing that. So, again, he checks off most of the boxes. I don't see him at number 20 for the Seahawks. And our last one real quick this one coming from Josh Edwards at CBS Sports. We've talked so much about Jalen Carter on this podcast already because, of course, he is one of the elite players in this draft class. And there's been plenty of discussion from our listeners saying he's not going to be there at number five. But this is a quarterback-driven league. And if Will Levis is getting top five buzz, C.J. Stroud is, Bryce Young is, those three go in the first five picks. Uh, you're going to get a chance at one of those two blue chippers in either Will Anderson or, in this case, Jalen Carter who would check off so many boxes for the Seahawks, a disruptive interior defender with great athleticism. He can win as a one-gapper and a two-gapper. He can be nasty working against double teams. And you look at the stats, didn't have a ton of sacks at Georgia, but I think some of that was the system. They were running so many twists and stunts, and other guys were getting sacks because of the work that he was doing, disrupting the middle and, and breaking down the, the pocket. I think you put him in a system where he's not doing that near as much, and you just let his talents take over, he's going to get a lot more sacks and a lot more quarterback hits. I think it's easy to look at the stats here and say, this guy is not the disruptive player he's being billed to. Watch the film, though. This guy is a game wrecker. Oh, he absolutely is. I mean, it, it's funny. I I listen to people all the time who will say, like, you know, I, I watched Jalen Carter and I just didn't like him. I didn't see enough big plays. And it's like, well, then you didn't really watch him, you know, because he is just so disruptive. Now, he does not create a whole bunch of big plays on his own as far as tackling the ball carrier. But you cannot block this man one-on-one. -on -one, otherwise, he will stop your quarterback or running back or whoever has the ball. And so you're often going to be dedicating two blocks, sometimes three blocks, sometimes chip blocks. You're going to be asking your quarterback to get the ball out of his hands very quickly. You're, he just he impacts the way that you call the game yeah. at such a consistent level against such elite talent that, yeah, I, I do believe that Jalen Carter is going to be off the board by the time uh, the fifth pick comes around. And um, in, in, at least in my opinion, I think that's one of the reasons why you're hearing people try to pump up some of these other quarterbacks to hope that a, a player like Jalen Carter falls down the board. But 
if he is somehow available to the Seahawks, I think that he is a perfect fit in so many different ways. I've only done one mock draft so far, Corbin. This was, uh, you know, a month ago or so. Um, and I had Jalen Carter sliding down uh, to Seattle when they had the three pick. I have a hard time believing that he would be available to them here at number five overall. But if he does, he's one of those few guys that's worth the, con the conversation, at least, about possibly moving up. He is that darn good, especially if you're going to go with the veteran quarterback of Geno Smith. But that's a conversation for another time. Let, let's switch over to the, the strategy that they go with number 20 overall that Josh Edwards of CBS Sports is going with. And that is another SEC star in the quarterback, Anthony Richardson. This is actually exactly the selections I made for Seattle in that mock draft I wrote for Fox Sports about a month ago. And of course, because I made the same picks, then I'm going to think that they're, hey, they're pretty smart picks. Well, that may not necessarily be the case. I think that neither one of these players is actually likely to be available to Seattle at number five and number 20. Again, though, I just feel that like both of them have such great upside that they check off a lot of the boxes that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have prioritized in the past. Yeah, that mock draft, the Seahawks traded up from 20 to 15 to get yeah. Anthony Richardson. I think that's probably what they're going to have to do if they really like him because he is another prospect like Levis that has all the physical tools. Six foot six, 230 plus pounds, cannon arm. He's a really good athlete difficult to bring down when he runs the football and I actually think he is a really solid pocket passer my biggest concern with him is just simply experience this is not a kid you're going to be able to chuck into a lineup on day one which is why he would be an ideal player to pick if you're wanting to get a quarterback for the future but you want Geno Smith to be the guy right now this would be a player that would make a lot of sense let him learn behind Geno especially a player like Geno who has gone through all the ups and downs he's gone through in his career he can learn a lot from him being the understudy and then maybe he can be your starter in 2024 and have a much higher ceiling than what Geno Smith brings to the table. I think that Richardson's a player that's truly a boomer bust prospect at the quarterback position because he's got all the physical tools, but I could see it being one of those things if he's not in the right system, he's not developed properly, could really be a struggle for him. He could end up being an all pro caliber player though on the flip side because he has all of those tools and you do see the pocket passing ability. So I would see that making sense if they, they take him at 15 in that case or 20 if he's still there. I'll be surprised if he's there though because of those physical tools and the position that he plays. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Don't forget to check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Tuesday episode, we're going to continue our end of season report card. We're going to be looking at the running back position and maybe starting to dive in a little bit into Seattle's pending free agents as well. Loaded episode coming your way. Hope you'll be listening. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.